Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Today's episode of On the Wing Podcast features Anapadal Pauthong. Napadal, or Nop, as he likes to be called, is a nature and conservation photographer and an associate fellow with the International League of Conservation Photographers, which is an elite group of the world's top wildlife, nature, and culture photographers from around the globe. Knopp is also a staff wildlife photographer with the Missouri Department of Conservation. And for over 20 years, he has been documenting rare and endangered species, particularly grassland grouse species and their fragile habitat. He's published two large-format national award-winning books, Save the Last Dance, about America's grassland grouse, published in 2012, and Sage Grouse, Icon of the West, published in 2017. And if you're a Pheasants Forever or a Quail Forever member, and you got the super issue in your hands, or it's uh, on its way to you, you'll see Napadal's just Stunning spread on America's grouse species in that super issue. It's a photo spread that's just stunning. And um, I'm, I'm, I have the good luck of Napadal being in Minnesota on vacation, uh, visiting some friends with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service up on the North Shore of Minnesota. And uh, Napadal has been kind enough to, to stop and visit with me. Uh, talk in person for this episode of On the Wing Podcast. So, Napadal, thank you very much for, for joining me. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Bob, for a great introduction. I'm nice to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, so so for folks that maybe haven't come across your work before, or maybe they didn't connect a photo with a name mm-hmm. or have seen your books, um, Tell us a little bit about, about yourself, where, where you're from, where you grew up. Um, give us your, your life story in a, yeah, sure. a couple-minute podcast. Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, my name is Long, and, uh, and, but uh, kind of interesting you mentioned, most people, when they recognize my name, they really recognize my name because it's just mm. long and it's just difficult to pronounce. <laughs> um, <laughs> as you probably most of us recognize, you know, I am not from Missouri uh, with my name. Uh, I was born in Thailand. Okay. Um, I came to United States in 1993 to study graphic design, and uh, and then I switched major to photojournalism. Okay. Um, and I used to work for newspaper for many, many years before I came to work for Department of Conservation in S- 2005. Did you come to a, a University of Missouri? No, I didn't, actually. I went to a small town because at the time, I really wanted experience cold and snow huh. <laughs> and it grew up in cold big yeah. you know, that doesn't normally uh, no, the no. reason for coming uh, I told people I probably the only Thai that you ever met that loves snow and cold I love snow sport you know I love climbing thing like that huh. so I chose North Idaho uh, in Coeur Idaho oh, okay. um, because I like small town you know I grew up in big city mm-hmm. Bangkok Thailand see the 10 million people so small town is more intrigued me, and I love nature. You know, I, I mm. grew up, even I grew up in Thailand, but I love nature whenever I get a chance. I love fishing. I love to be near the water, and Kodalain was a perfect fit for me. Okay. So I was there for many years. Um, I went there for English um, school for mm. a couple of years because I didn't speak much English at all when I came here. Mm. Um, and then I worked for college newspaper. Um, Bless to my wife, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she told me that I'm probably better at taking photographs than be a graphic designer. Mm. So I enrolled in college newspaper and make it short, and I start, I start winning photo contests in college newspaper really? contests. And that earned me a scholarship at the uh, University of Missouri in uh, Joplin, Missouri. They offered me a full-ride scholarship. Okay, so to get like a, a master's in photography? No, again, uh, no, just bachelor. Yeah, I graduate okay. and uh, and I got full ride scholarship. And after I graduated, I started working for a newspaper, daily newspaper for several years, probably a good six, seven years. And then um, both Joplin Globe and Springfield News Leader. 
And the Missouri Department of Conservation have job opening. I applied for it and I got a job. Mm. And according to my supervisor, there were a lot of people that really wanted a job. Like okay. To be full-time staff photographer, it's for magazine, it's very rare nowadays. Mm. So, um, yeah, I did. <laughs> and I was first introduced to you, and this is the first time we met, but I was first introduced to you in your work by by a mutual friend who has since passed, mm-hmm. Joel Vance. Yes, we miss and him. <laughs> anybody in Missouri mm-hmm. will name the, uh, recognize the name Joel yes. Vance. Uh, for folks that don't know Joel Vance, tell he tell is us a great you. person. Um, in fact, I met Joel before I started working for Missouri Department of Conservation on my third year into my grouse project book. Because before I even became a book. I spoke with one of my mentors who knew Joe very well and say you should meet with Joe. He'll be a great writer for this. So I mm. met Joe in 2002 or 2003 and uh, and he just like, you know, you need to work for Missouri Department of Conservation. Wow. And he used to be a writer for Missouri Department of Conservation. He yep. retired many, many years ago. Um, so we met and Joe very liked me and he said, let's stay in touch. Let, when you get serious about doing book, I want to be the writer for this book. And, uh, well, uh, many years later, when I finally got all photos together, after 11 years of shooting photos of this grouse, I told <sighs> Joe, we have enough photos, would you like to write? And it was so honored to have him be a writer for the book. And we do miss him. He yeah. passed a couple of years ago. In fact, um, this I can add into it. About a couple of weeks ago, he was nominated. To, he was inducted into Missouri, photo, uh, Missouri Conservation's Hall of Fame, mm. which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, his family and, and we gathered together in honor to him. So it was uh, very sweet. Yeah, well-deserved and just... Yes, very well-deserved um, for Joel. Amazing. You know, one of those people that just touched a, a, a he, lot. Yep, of, he did, um, he did. It, 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 just a down-to-earth, great mm-hmm. person. He is, yeah. His uh, his conservation ethic and kind of his his f- uh, the, the people he communicated to and worked with. You know, it, it reverberates. Mm-hmm. In, in he touched a lot of people, and you can always tell. You know, at his memorial service, a lot of friends came, and you know, we all talk. You know, we lo- we all missed him. Yeah, it was quite a shock, but um, but yeah, you know, he. I was so blessed to have him write a book, and he was so pleased with my book. He told everybody, mm. you know, and uh, he always had my book to show to people, and so. So that's wh- that's what we're gonna focus on as we transition here. We're gonna talk about your two books, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk uh, about wildlife photography. We're getting <laughs> um, into hunting season yeah. here, and not mm-hmm. too long, and. You know, there's a lot of folks that uh, want to make it Instagram official, right? <laughs> have, have that perfect photo of their hunting adventure, yeah. their bird dog, and maybe um, through the conversation we can offer a few tips. Mm-hmm. So before we jump forward, I want to give a shout out to a sponsor of our podcast, On X Maps. If you want to find more birds this hunting season, look no further than the Onyx Hunt app. Private and public land boundaries just begin to scratch the surface on Onyx and the countless tools that can make you a safer and more successful hunter. Onyx is trusted by millions of hunters across the U.S., and you can join them by downloading the app for a risk-free seven-day trial. Use the code pheasants or quail during the checkout for 20% off your membership at onyx hunt and you'll be glad to learn that a portion of onyx sales using these codes goes back to support pheasants forever and quail forever's wildlife habitat mission leading to better habitat more wild birds and creating more public access for all of us thanks to onyx all right now your your first book that we're going to talk about is the book that uh, we've teased already. It's the, the one that Joel wrote the mm-hmm. foreword to, Save the Last Dance. And, and there's a, a – this it must have been – well, so, th- so this book came out in 2012, Twelve. right? Mm-hmm. Yes, 2012. And at that time, books started getting movie, movie trailers start videos, right? Yeah. It, it was – there's a, so I, I – Check. I, I own this book, <laughs> but I, as I was re- researching the podcast, um, I came across the video trailer oh. for the book, which was fun. Yes. And, and it says 10 years, and you mentioned this, 11, ten, 11 years <laughs> yeah. to make, 14 states, 70,000 miles, 
it, you experienced negative 25 degrees all the way up to 115 degrees, <laughs> zero elevation, so sea level to 10,000 feet of elevation, uh, and, and you focused on America's grouse species, yes. uh, prairie grouse Prairie species. grouse, yep, exactly. Save the last dance. Tell us about this journey. Well, first, talk about the video. Um, my wife, uh, she's a great e-learning person. She mm. said, you know, I know a lot of times you don't get to know a photographer. Um, photographer, we always call a background person. People mm -hmm. see the sure. photograph, but you don't know the personality. He said, you know, you have to make it fun. You have mm -hmm. to make it, you know, approachable. And that's the idea is to make it eye-catching. And I use that for my presentation when people laugh, you know, and just look at a movie trailer. Yeah. I invite everybody to check it out on my website. I think it's on my website. Um, we did talk about this whole project, Why Grouse, you know, yep. and Why Prairie Grouse specifically. Um, so the title, Save the Last Dance, talking about why this bird is so unique. Um, how it came about, um, at the time, in fact, it was 2001, um, my editor, um, Carol, um, gave me this assignment to say, hey, Nob, I know you love to photograph wildlife. I got a perfect assignment for you. Would you like to go photograph prairie chicken? And I was just dumbfounded on myself, like, what are you talking about? Mm. I didn't know what it was. Okay. So I thought it was and a And you're living in Missouri. At the time, yeah. yeah. I live in southwest Missouri at the time in Joplin. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, there's a little prairie outside Joplin, and there's a man, low Piuge. Uh, he can tell you about it. Hmm. So I thought it was a chicken living on the prairie, just being <laughs> ignorant. Even I photographed sure. so many wildlife across North America. I didn't know anything about this bird. Well, the reason why I didn't know a lot about this bird, because there weren't many in Missouri. Right. Oh, there aren't many anymore. So I went out there. And he told me, low, uh, told me that you need to be in a photo blind, which I'm familiar with. But what I wasn't familiar with was that he told me they will come exactly same spot, right mm. in front of your blind. This is a place called Booming Ground or Lack, L-E-K. This is where they come and mating. You have to be there before sunrise, sit in the blind. You have to set the blind be before, get in there. And I will never forget just a sitting of darkness. You know, walk in the prairie is another mm. thing, but sit by yourself in the dark. And all of a sudden you hear this sound, you know, if you ever see prairie chicken, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Just a booming, mm -hmm. hollow sound. I would never forget it, you know. I told people that if one instant can change a person's life, that mm -hmm. morning was one of them. Because really? Yeah, it did. Uh, because it made me want to know more about this bird. It just made me feel like this is so sad, you know. Mm -hmm. There's already three birds on the place where I was that morning. That was 2001. Um, the place now gone, no more prairie chicken. Really? And uh, Low told me that the place that when he grew up, there used to be hundreds of them. He saw a flock of hundred flying back and forth in the field. And I said, "What happened?" He said, well, "Look around you. What happened?" Mm -hmm. I said, "Well, farm farmland." He said, well, "Exactly. This is used to be a native tall grass prairie, and because the native prairie, uh, tall grass prairie, so this bird disappearing." And uh, and I just feel like. This bird deserves a story to be told, mm. and but what I didn't realize was, you know, I continued shooting photo every morning. I kept going back, even after assignment was done, I kept going back every day, day after day, day after day. You know, and this bird came out in the spring to dance for a few months, you know, from late February until about early May. And my second on my second year, my fiance at the time, my wife now, she's like. Why don't you work on the book on this? It sounds mm. like you really, really love about this bird. I said, yeah, I do. And, but I didn't really know why I get into it. Mm -hmm. And then my third year, then I start to expand from greater prairie chicken to lesser prairie chicken mm -hmm. to greatest, greater sage ground, sharp tail, the Atwater prairie chicken, which is probably the most highly endangered species of grouse in North America, or bird in North America, to the Gunnison sage grouse, which mm. is the newest bird species in North America in 2000. 2020, uh, two th uh, sorry, um, I believe 19, late 1990, um, they became a newest bird in North America. And when the project finished, I was so proud to see how that came about because from the beginning, I didn't know anything about this bird until until final product to see all what all mm. these birds are about. See them dancing, why they dance, and also conservation message, which Joe did a great job. He put some a lot of conservation message about why they're disappearing, mm -hmm. and of course... It it just um it was a good project and of course uh, we end uh, the project with the heath hen. In fact, one of the last photographs the heath hen and most people probably never heard of heath yeah, hen. Yeah. Heath hen is the uh, East Coast prairie chicken, which is uh, they are subspecies of greater prairie chicken. Look like greater prairie chicken, but if you put specimens side by side, heath hen is the biggest. Mm. 
Huh. Greater pressure can come in between, and then the add water pressure can because there are three subspecies. The add water pressure can is small. They're from Texas, okay. southern coast of Texas, where the greater pressure can in the Midwest, in yep. the heartland area, where the heat tend in the East Coast. There were millions of them, and you know, talking about early 1800 people, it's along the East Coast, you know, from New England all the way to you know Carolina, and they were basically hunted to extinction because there's no regulation. People use them as shooting target. Mm. People hunt them by the barrel, and they use them for you know kid to go out and shoot. And and the sad story was, I mean, uh, they literally hunted to extinction, and then the last remaining population, only two thousand of them, mm. were found on the little island of uh, Massachusetts, Martha Vineyard. Yeah. Um, and then they had a big fire in early 1900. That pretty much did the rest. Oh, wow. And for the last three years before they went extinct, there's only one male left. His name is Booming Ben. Huh. And Booming Ben? Booming Ben. Okay. Yes, they name him Booming Ben because every spring he will come into exactly location, just like any of these birds, any prairie grouse. They have uh-huh. to come to this mating area. They like to use the same spot over and over. Sure. He probably was the oldest prairie chicken of all, actually, according to research. Uh, he was in probably nine or ten years. And he came out and boom every morning huh. um, for three years. And I do a lot of talk, and I use him as making point for my presentation. He said, can you imagine what it what it's feel like for you to be a last human being on Earth? Oh, wow. And that's what extinction feel like. Mm. And if you go to Martin Vineyard today, you see a tombstone for the heathen. It's still wow. there. They have all the story of booming Ben and what happened. Huh. And I told people, that's what extinction feels like. We still have time to save this species. And we're not talking about not hunting them. Of course, hunting is an important part of conservation sure. and all that. But but we have to do something. With, with the heat which came a little bit too late. They mm-hmm. did no regulation. By the time they came about, the genetic, it was just all... Was there habitat loss component? Habitat loss and um, and also no regulation. Yeah. And, uh, and what year did they go extinct? The early from 1900, I think heat hen was uh, extinct. I could be wrong. I don't have number in front of me. Late uh, 1920, okay. I believe. Um, 19. So a century ago. Yep, at this yep, point. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Huh. And talking about this bird, used to be millions of them along the east coast. I I I, I want to circle back to um, you. You mentioned. That first morning on the lek, on the booming ground with these three mm-hmm. prairie chickens in Missouri was life-changing. Yes. And clearly, yeah, you know, your life has gone on a trajectory <laughs> where, you know, you've written books, your photography. I mean, you are the prairie grouse yep. photographer <laughs> of the world, right? I mean, yeah, this is your niche. This yep, is that your, is my niche. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've witnessed – the booming. Mm. I've witnessed the sharp tail dancing, yeah. um, you know, sage grouse. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to hear from you, like, what can you put into words how it affected you? Um, it made me feel like when you sit by yourself in the photo blind, you know, that probably different experience than, than different for other people. But for me, when I was out there, I was by myself. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel like this what must be like before humans were here. Mm. The sound in mm-hmm. the spring, you know, no car mm-hmm. and being remote. And this bird was just do their thing. And they've been doing this for generations, you know. They, mm. they use the same location for hundreds or even not thousands of years, same location. And to think that this sound, one of these days, you know, they'll be all gone. And, of course, it start happening now even in Missouri and some places where I photograph, say, grab a sharp tail. That started to disappearing, and you know, and that's happened with the habitat fragmentation. And to me, um, to lose one species for some people might not be a big deal, but for me, it is mm. because I feel like I know them. They're just like mm-hmm. this is my birds, you know. Mm-hmm. I can read their expression, just literally see mm. what they're gonna do next, you know. Really? And it's such a, you know, people always think, oh, they're dumb bird. They're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be able to come back and use the same area years of year, it's so intelligent. I mean, I have to walk to the lake in the dark with GPS to find it. Mm-hmm. And that this bird can can find that <laughs> spot with no problem. To me, that intelligence. Mm-hmm. And they do their thing. You have to admire you know, this bird that's just so elusive for most of the year. You know, they mm-hmm. say in tall grass prairie or in sagebrush, you don't see them. Mm-hmm. For two or three months of the year, they come out on this open ground. 
to dance. Mm-hmm. And as you know, only one or two male would do all the mating. Mm-hmm. The rest of them were just sort of backup dancers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to, for, you, for, 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 yeah. pe- for, for me to see them doing that, you have to admire them for that, that energy they put into mm-hmm. it. For what? You know, for that's for produce, to make generation, mm-hmm. to keep it going. And uh, I think to me, that was amazing, Otis Burns, the dance and the energy they put into it yeah. and the fight and the sound they make. And uh, and to see that, to think that one of these days they'll be gone, I just feel it kind of almost make you feel sad, mm-hmm. you know. And this it's for me, from my perspective. I talk to a lot of hunter, a lot of people who hunt them. They, f- they talk about the same thing. Say, oh yeah, there be so so many of them, and you know, and we all love this bird different way. Yeah. You know? I, you you're a photographer, right? You capture mm-hmm. the visual, and in the visual of all these birds, prairie chickens, sharp tails. Mm-hmm. It's stunning. The colors when they're, you know, the different pieces of the, mm-hmm. th- their body, the, uh, uh, the glands mm-hmm. in their neck that show up when they're booming, yeah. right? The, the feathers the feather. taking different shape, the tails yeah. taking different shape. But what is, and that's beautiful and stunning, but what always gets me is the sound. The sound, yeah. Right? Like yeah. it's, you know, the, and the difference in sound mm-hmm. between a sharp tail that's almost mechanical, yeah, exactly, like, 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 like a robot, yeah. right? To the booming, to the to yeah, yeah. It, and then you—I don't even know how to describe a sage grouse, right? It's like, <laughs> like, it's it's like sound a like a water Saturday, boiling, yes, yeah. or Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, like, yeah. Where, what is this? Comical thing? to watch them doing that, you know. In fact, this year I saw sage grouse, greater prairie chicken, lesser prairie chicken, and a sharp tail in just one season, mm. you know, and it was just fun, and I have to remind myself, say, oh my god, this bird is so fun to watch, mm-hmm. and even after 20 some plus years, I still amazed by the dance, and it just, I just never get bored just mm-hmm. watching them, and uh, it's almost fun for me too, when I take people out to photograph them, and I do teach work photography workshop, and I can tell them, like, what they're gonna do next, and they look at me like, "How do you know?" I say, "They call me the grouse whisperer." I say, "I'm embarrassed," and it's like because I know them, you know, yeah. because I photograph them so much, and that's one of the things in my photography is that I don't want to just take a snapshot. I want to capture their soul, uh, and I want to tell the story. You want and to capture their soul, their spirit, what yeah. these birds are about, to to make people care about what they look at. You have to put passion into creating image. Yeah. You know, and uh, and one of the best example, one of photographer who I absolutely, absolutely one of the best photographer in the world, and you'll be proud if I'm in Minnesota, mm. Jim Brandenburg. Oh, sure. And look at his photograph the same way. You know, he understand the depth of the species. He understand mm-hmm. the depth of animal. Whatever he photograph, doesn't matter what, from flower to wolf to loon to yeah. whatever he photograph, he put a soul into it. You know, yeah. He put his heart and passion. And when you look at photograph, you can almost feel it. Yeah. And I want people to look at my photograph and see the same way. And uh, and that's why it took me 11 years in my first book. And it took me five years in my second book. <laughs> it is. It, it, you, you mentioned the name Jim Brandenburg. And guy from Ely, Minnesota. Yes. And you're right. Like, it transcends, in, in my mind, transcends photography into art it is and 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 he was a he is a master he, of it yeah. because you can you automatically think well i i in my mind's eye i see a wolf jumping um from a piece of ice mm-hmm. in in the and you know exactly instantly which photo i'm mm-hmm. talking about yes, right yes exactly or or the the stream with the snow oh. and and the leaves in the water mm-hmm. and you're like oh yeah i know that photo too right like you instantly know a Brandenburg, yes, right, absolutely. and you've occupied that niche uh-huh. in the prairie grouse yes. world, right, and that's gotta feel like. So you capture the soul, capture the spirit, but then also photography that transcends into art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jim and I kind of have similar paths. We both started as photojournalists, mm. and he likes to tell a story. And I know Jim in person too. Mm. I met him a couple of times, and he was just just nice, nicest guy. In fact, I was so I. The, when I came to America in 1983, well, one of the first books that caught my attention was Brother Wolf. Mm. And I look at that book and say, my God, 
I want to do that. Mm-hmm. That was 1993. So for me to get to meet him in person and tell him that what his work meant for me, mm. it meant a lot. So I told him, and he always gave me advice, say, you know, you have to understand the depth of subject, and that's my secret. Most mm. people don't do that. They just go on that snapshot, doing the same thing with when you go birding. You don't want to just look at the bird. Right. You just want to see what they're doing, what they're eating, what their certain behavior. It makes you much better photographer. I know sure. we will talk about more about photo tip. The tip I can give anybody at all about photography, nature photography, try to understand your subject. Mm-hmm. Understand by means, study them, watching them, research them, and the more you understand, the more you appreciate them for yeah. what they are instead of being dumb growls, you know. Sure. Uh, you respect them, doesn't matter from insects. I mean, I love insects too. In fact, I, it's kind of funny. I like to photograph insects, especially bee and butterfly. Um, understand them and then you transcend that into a story and mm-hmm. tell people what these things are about why people should care mm-hmm. you know they have to make them a, to the point that why this thing is worth saving mm-hmm. it's not just the grouse but also it's about the landscape and yeah. that's on my s- second book on safe, uh, safe ground uh, I kind of was I incorporate a lot of wildlife in landscape because portrait doesn't do it and the close up doesn't do it and mm. most wildlife photographers like to shoot close up and if you look at my photograph, even in the, the issue in the uh, present forever, you see um, the bird in the landscape yep. to kind of make you understand say, why it's important to not just save the bird, but this piece of land. Mm-hmm. So let's transition. That's a perfect uh, lead me right to sage grouse. <laughs> so you go for, well, let me ask one more quick question that stopped me. Um, 10,000 feet of elevation on Save the Land mm-hmm. Dance. What prairie grouse lives Gunnison's, up that high? Gunnison 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 sage, yeah, sage yeah. Okay. Almost, about, right about 9 to 10. There's oh, a high okay. elevation. They're only found in Colorado and Utah. Oh, okay. And that is a newer species of birth in North America. They named it, uh, I think, in 2020. Uh, no, 2000, sorry. 2000, that became the newest bird species in North gotcha, America. Gotcha. Okay. Before, people didn't know there were different species. They thought it was the same as greater sage grouse. Sure. The DNA and behavior study conclude that it's not even a subspecies. No it's com- kidding. completely new species. Huh. Yep, completely new species. Where the greater Prairie chicken, heath hen, and Atwater subspecies, which yep. means they sound the same. It's just different in, in terms of location and genetics slightly. But the Gunnison and greater sage are not the same species. When you look at a greater prairie chicken and a lesser prairie oh, chicken. You can tell different. The sound they make, very different. Um, for the, the sound. L- the sound they really? make. And, and I did have a friend. In fact, I had a hunter ask me, he said, you will see them flying in western Kansas. Can you tell between greater, say, uh, greater prairie chicken and lesser prairie chicken? I can. <laughs> because lesser prairie chicken, the chest is a little bit narrow and oh. the, the lighter overall in color and the air sac is rather orange than being yellow like greater prairie chicken. Yeah, okay. And the sound they made, it's not booming. It's called like, oh, more like gobbling. Gobbling? Okay. Yeah, or yodeling. If you do some research on YouTube, you hear them sound completely different. Okay. Um, and the habitat where they live is slightly different. Uh, sure. They're more like drier prairie, short grass prairie, where the greater prairie chicken more into a tall grass prairie. Mm-hmm. But some place in Kansas, you can see both species on the same lack. No kidding. And even some hybrid that happened. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I recently interviewed a biologist professor in North Dakota mm-hmm. talking about some hybridization with uh, greater prairie chickens and shark Oh, yes, tails. happened. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and you've seen that? I photographed them. I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. And uh, and one of my friends um, who did study on hybridization asked him, so why it happened? He said when the range overlap, when one species mm-hmm. became less, you know, available, female will pick whatever species the closest. Okay. And she would mate with sharp tail, in, you know, or mate with lesser prairie chicken, mate with the greater prairie chicken. In some places in Wyoming and Montana, we have hybrid between sage grouse and sharp tail. Sage grouse and sharp tail? Yes. Uh-huh. All right. So it, what about the forest grouse? Like Happen. a rough grouse and a sharp tail? I, I did hear that too. Uh, huh. The, uh, the forest grouse with the sage grouse that happened. A forest grouse with a sage grouse? Yeah, all wow. with the sharp tail that happened. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Well, let's. Uh, I I could ask you all sorts of weird <laughs> questions like that, but let's go to sage grouse, icon of the West. Your latest book, published in 2017, about America's largest uh, grouse species. Um, what led you to go from? <laughs> You know, the last stance, which was about all the species, and then take a major deep dive 
into a singular uh, species? It's a very good question. In fact, um, this I told few people, you know, when I finished my first book because it took so much toll on me with traveling. Mm-hmm. At the time, you know, I have that my daughter was only one or two years old. Um, she's almost 13 now. But... Um, I travel so much, I I just feel like, not burnout, out, but I just like, I'm compl- I'm done. I'm not going to do any more book. I'm done with this subject. Um, I want to move on, do something else, because I like to focus on something for a long, long time. That's my thing. I like to focus on one project for a long, long time. And I feel like I'm done. Until about almost a year later, I went to my friend house Wisconsin. He had a great collection of books. He had this book called Sage Ground, Wyoming. I flipped to it. I was at his house, I flipped to it. And there's a lot of great photographs. Mm-hmm. And if you ever see it, uh, it's some you really interesting in sage grass. I think there's a sage grass Bible right there by okay. Robert Patterson, uh, a Wyoming Game and Fish. He published back in 1945, I mean, 1950. He had a lot of many great photographs. I will never forget I have one picture of the sage grass hen guarding the nest. Mm. And you can see she was flying her mm. eye, the spirit, just like I look at it. Oh my God, this is great photograph. And I photographed this bird for so many years. But again, my first book, not very heavy into uh, nesting and all that stuff. It did have some, mm-hmm. my first book, but I didn't have that perspective. And I kind of like, you know what? I feel like my mission wasn't complete, you know? Mm. I just feel there's more story to be told because if I spent, you know, 11 years with this bird and I didn't know much perspective of this nesting, what happened after the dance mm. or what they do in the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of occurred to me. It's like, maybe I should do a sage growl. I kind of... Dip my toe in it slowly, slowly, you know, mm-hmm. until my wife said, you should do it. You know, mm. you should do it. If anybody out, it will be, it'll be you. So um, I start to explore the possibility and then I say, I need to shoot a little bit different. I need to take photographs that show more the landscape. I need to follow this bird throughout the season. Winter, mm-hmm. What they do in the winter, what they do in the summer, after nesting, what they, where they go. And that became this project that took me five years to finish mm. and people say why it took you five years not 11 well because it one species is a mm-hmm. lot easier but it took me five years and i had a head start from last project too you know and um so i understood this bird a little bit i started talking to different people completely and one of which i want to include is hunter mm-hmm. both uh, tradition hunting and falconing mm-hmm. and also a native american perspective which mm-hmm. is very important mm-hmm. and also rancher too who live in this land so I want this book to be a sort of voice for everybody to talk about. Interestingly, the thing that they all came from different perspectives, but when you talk to them, their conclusion is the same, that really? they want to protect this bird. They okay. want to save this land. So we all have the same goal. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter which perspective you come from, from conservationist, from ranching perspective, uh, from hunting perspective. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to preserve the land and protect the bird. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like this is gonna be a great angle. You know, mm-hmm. and and I and I start to explore that possibility and it follow the bird from spring to um, summer to winter time, which is brutal to photograph sage ground in the winter time in Wyoming. You talk about the wind, wind it's just snow. 60, yeah. 70, 80 miles an hour. It's just incredible. Huh. But to watch this bird just stood in the field, feeding, yeah. walking, you know, their feet is almost like a snowshoes. Like mm-hmm. they can walk on top of the snow where my car got stuck in the snow. <laughs> and this bird just thriving. Yeah. And to watch them, it's like, wow, they're built for it. They're literally built for severe weather from heat and from coal, you know, yeah. you, this bird, the only thing they're not built for is human. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're not adapted to the chain environment, and that's a problem with sage grouse. They're not adapted to the chain, that chain to what happened to the habitat, where they're built for this severe environment, they yeah. can survive. And and I want to tell people the story of that, about why this bird's so unique. It's just not just sage grouse, but also about thousand other species that live in the same unique ecosystem which is sagebrush right people think of sagebrush being a kind of a shrubby looking thing but for most animal in fact from insect to reptile to ground deer to mule deer it's like a rainforest to them mm. you have to look into a small scale you know you see how many species live mm. that depend on it and sage ground live off sagebrush 100 percent in the winter time they feed nothing but sagebrush mm. Because that gives them enough energy, you know, and snow gives them water, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why they're thriving in winter. They got water and food right there. Mm. So the, you don't see even a harsh winter. They're, they're not doing fine. They yeah. will duck and sit right next to sagebrush. Snow can be 10 feet high. They'll yeah. be fine. Because their food's right there. The food right there. Exactly. Yeah. When you remove the sagebrush, 
then you remove the food, right? Mm. And and also uh, most people don't not aware of that the sagebrush is really slow to regenerate. It mm. can take 60, 70 years for sagebrush to come back. Mm. In fact, places in Wyoming nearby Oregon Trail, mm. where you can see the wagon trail roll over the sagebrush, that was like 150 years ago, and wow. those sagebrush hasn't come back. Wow. And that's just from that. And imagine when you remove the sagebrush, whether you make a road or oil field, those scars will last generations. Mm. And and if you especially in the habitat where you have a lot of sage grouse, I mean they'll be very hard on them, and that's why the the, the population start to decline mm-hmm. when you have a lot of disturbance in the habitat. Same thing with prairie grouse and a prairie chicken, the same way. Mm. The requirement is very very similar. Well, one of the no, so pheasants forever and quail forever really involved in sage grouse initiative, mm-hmm. and um, so I've done some podcasts and interviews with biologists around sage grouse. And one thing that I find fascinating, it's a species that has some migratory uh, elements to it. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's documented sage grouse from Wyoming all mm-hmm. the way moving to southern Canada and back. Wow. Did you see any migration related to when you were doing um, your photography with Well, I didn't with sage grouse, but I saw a huge flock in the wintertime. I saw a flock of maybe 150 birds flying. No kidding. Yeah, um, because they, they form this... Flying mag- together? Flying together, yes. Wow. Yep, they're big flock. That's stunning. It is. Stu- it was stunning to see. It was a sight, but my friend told me that, you know what, I've seen even better. He showed me a picture of... He count. He literally project his images he took back in the early 90s into the wall, and he told me there were... 580 birds. Say, how do you know that, Steve? Say, I project them in the wall and put a marker. Wow, <laughs> and in 580 f- sage yep. grouse. And that was, well, that was over Jonas Field. Now is a uh, gas field, okay. and uh, so oh. those birds were gone from the area. But he said, yep, that was the biggest flock I never saw. And of course, like Lewis and Clark Journal, sure. and the talk talking about this, the 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 bird. It's amazing to think of all connection, you know, and mm-hmm. talking about the location of where these birds are. But they do migrate from time to time. But in the winter time, they form this mega flock together, mm-hmm. and they're feeding in one specific area. And biology now start to study about the wintering range, mm-hmm. which is really very really important for them to survive in the winter time. What happened if we disturb the winter range where they feeding mm-hmm. and that have a big impact on the population. Uh, not just sage but also pronghorn and mule deer mm-hmm. too and all that because they're all in the same range, especially in Wyoming, high desert. So we'll transition to photography tips, but before I do that, if folks want to look at you know sort of the cover the videos for your books where do they where do they do that um you can type my name uh napalm tao tong or uh or sage grout icon of the west or go to np nature photography dot com so that's probably the easiest the one the easiest way np nature photography dot com yep. and i really would suggest folks take a look at the videos and then <laughs> and the books I mean, they're just, they're stunning. <laughs> Thank you. And they, they absolutely are. And, you know, I think about, you know, 11 years and five years. Yeah. It, 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 forgive me if this is too impersonal. Like, when you invest so much time and money in a book like this, is it profitable? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's a thing. Uh, that's why you have a job with the Missouri yeah, Department of Conservation. Yeah, that's why so I have, this is a passion This for is you. a passion for me. And I do, um, you know, in the past few years, I've been doing a lot. I haven't done any of that, but I used to do a lot of talk across the U.S. The organization would invite me to come and give talk. And that's an important part of my message, too. I want people to hear from me mm. why I work on this project. Doing book is not about profit at all. I mean, for me, it's about passion. Yeah, I want to do get rich i'll be doing something out you know yeah. um because this is all about um why it matters to me why this thing is matters to me um i want this book if nothing out could be a record of what this book is all about and and as you know at water pressure can it probably down to less than a handful now mm. uh where the last pressure chicken now down to about like fifteen thousand birds uh, in western kansas oklahoma and texas and a little bit part of colorado and the gun is in sage ground confined to about, you know, three to 4,000 birds. So uh, I'm being realistic, saying, you know, in 10 years, I'm not sure any of these birds are going to be around. And mm-hmm. I want my book to be at least a record to tell story of them, what they're all about. Because before they're all gone, and this is it. And uh, so that's why I put my heart and soul into it, because right. I knew it was important. 
um, and 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 it's almost embarrassing because when I start this book project, a lot of people look told me it's like, what are you doing? You know, you have mm. great portfolio of this. Why don't you do a book on this and ego on bear on? Right. And say, well, there's so many people cover on that. Everybody want to photograph ego. Everybody want to photograph wolf or bear or mm. whatever. And but grouse needs somebody to tell the story, right? Mm. And nobody else do but me, and it had to be me. Um, and when I started this project, nobody really knew much about this bird, hardly at all. Now we all know about sage grouse because they talk in the news yeah. all the time. They're yep. in the news every few months. They say sage grouse always prairie chicken because of the conservation thing what's going on. But when I started, nobody even knew about what this bird is about. Mm. And uh, and to me, I think the message I want people to learn is even just local. Um, to, to to talk about what this bird so unique and why they're so special, why they deserve audience, you know, not just a lion or eagle and a bear, grouse also deserve to audience, mm. <laughs> uh, and that's why I'm doing this book. And and again, it's not about getting rich, you know, yeah. at all. And, and and you know, I was lucky on the second book that I have sponsor, okay. so I didn't have to put a lot of my own money into it, into because it's a lot of traveling, a lot of you know, sure, and a lot of time investment into being out in the field because people don't realize when they think professional photographers, oh, you take so many great photographs. Those great photographs came from years and years and years. It's yeah. not just one trip. You go out and you come back with great photo. You may go out m- multiple mornings in a row and you don't get any photograph. Mm-hmm. Or you can take the same photo over and over. If you not want to reinvent yourself, you have to think ahead of what kind of message you want to tell, what kind of thing you want to shoot. So every day I have to come with a list about why I want to photograph or what important to, to tell people. Mm-hmm. And even then, you know, you the book, 100, 200 pages, right? Not every million photo can go in there. And that was the most difficult part is editing them down yeah. and pick the right images. And I'm lucky because I have a friend and my wife who has really, very good sharp eye. And she and I will argue over what images will be the best. And uh-huh. her idea is that if you look at my photographs, uh, both books, photograph from the next page actually follow the, se- follow the page before. It tells the story in mm-hmm. the order. It's not random. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, most books nowadays kind of random, pretty sure. photograph. Sure. I don't want my photograph to be just a pretty photograph. I want to tell the story from that page to the next page to the next page. Wow. And that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know enough about publishing in photography to be dangerous. And mm. you think about either book, 11 years mm. or five years, the amount of traveling, and all the costs incurred by you you know whether it's the investment in your camera equipment, mm-hmm. editing equipment, travel, time, time. <laughs> right? And then the book itself you didn't like skimp at all on the creation. Of that. I mean the book is hardcover. Yeah. 100 plus pages. 204 the first book but and 180 in the second yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> heavy paper with Beautiful printing. I mean, there. My buddy Hank Shaw, who's, who does publishing around cooking, right? He, he's like, M- part of my goal is to be the category killer, right? Like he, his um, his book, Pheasant Quail Cottontail. He wants to create such a incredible book that nobody else will even try. You are the category killer, <laughs> right, uh, of, of grouse publications because they're in just – they're incredible. Yeah, I I like Jim. Um, if you look at Jim Brandenburg's mm. work, and I picked Jim because you look at his work on The Brother Wolf, mm. which was done – published in 1993. And I know many, many because I'm with the International League of Conservation Photographer Group, which Jim also part of the group too. Okay. A very, very niche group about – uh, less than about 100 people, 100 photographer, world class. And and I know many, many of the finest photographer. And Jim published a book in 1993. He set the bar so high mm. that nobody could cross it, even to this day. No kidding. And talk about 30 what's something. The, what's the name of that book? Brother Wolf. Okay. Uh, by Jim Brandenburg. Um, and I want my book to do exactly that. Yeah. I want to set my bar high 
And I want somebody to cross over one of these days. I wanted to, and I'm yeah. sure there'll be someone. And I hope this bird can still be around. And I'm not one of those photographers that look at other people's work and say, "Oh God, I'm so jealous." I'm not. I'm, I'm always happy to see someone else, especially a younger person, sure. came and told me, "I want to be a photographer." It made me so happy, you know. And I'm always encouraged by looking at other people's work too. And I set my bar high. But doesn't mean people cannot cross over. I would love to see someone do better to tell better story, and I'm sure Jim is the same way too because he set his bar so high sure. that even after 30 years, nobody can cross over. Mm. Doesn't matter who. I mean, I know world best of the best, and they couldn't mm. because guess what? He put heart and soul into mm-hmm. it, and he did it with film, mm. with manual focus lens, with right. a camera that have limited technology. Now we're talking about. A camera, you don't even have to look to the viewfinder. It will focus on the eyeball subject for you yeah, automatically. Yeah. And we are spoiled you know, with all this high advanced technology, mm. digital camera. He did it with film. Mm. And for you to think, okay, that was just film 30 years ago and nobody else can do better. That mm. should make you proud. And I want to, and I feel good when I have the book published because I feel like we did right. Um, we, we, uh, we, we we make sure that everything in the book is correct, you know, and I want the book to be sort of thing that people talk many, many years from now. I don't want to be a book that lasts for a year and nobody talk about. I want this book to people to look and admire what this birds are about. Yeah. And the only way to do it to make them beautiful and people want to put in a bookshelf and mm-hmm. show it to people and I have many, many people, including Joe Vance, who was yeah. so proud when the book published they couldn't see it. He's smart. he's very big in grouse you know yeah, yeah. and and you know and he talked highly on my book and uh, i'm so so glad that he wrote my first book and i i don't yet have the sage grouse book but i do have the last dance yeah. book and i got it for christmas from my in-laws mm-hmm. um three four years ago mm-hmm. and like you say it you know it's it's so stunning we have it in a coffee table <laughs> under glass <laughs> better than mine (laughs) (laughs) because it's one of those where i just don't want it to get you know any any pages to get torn or or to get weathered it's just it's just beautiful um let we've started talking about your philosophy with photography and to really know the subject Mm -hmm. um you know as as you look at your books the time of day you're there in darkness mm-hmm. um you're there all day i mean uh, uh, give some tips for um somebody that's aspiring to take yeah better nature photography i think um one of the things that i have a conversation with one of my good friends who is sort of my mentor um john we always talk about what is more important in photography and i always say oh camera technical and mm-hmm. he said no times mm. time is the most valuable thing a p- person can do with their photography the more you time you spend the better you get uh, and that's the one advice i can give one of f- advices i can give is spend a lot of time with your subject mm-hmm. get to know your subject and don't be afraid to make mistakes people are so afraid to make mistakes but oh i take back so i took bad photo too in fact I told people the difference between professional photographer and amateur photographer. Professional photographer, we do take a lot of bad photo, hmm. a lot, and more than you most will realize. But to get to the good one, we have to take multiple and experiment different way. And with a digital camera, it's nothing to lose. Experience mm-hmm. with it. Try different technique. Don't just shoot the same thing over and over. You know, try to think about what can be different, what could be better. I mean, I never satisfied with my images, even they're already great. Some of them they're so good that you just couldn't re- you couldn't do it again. Mm. Absolutely. But a lot of time, I look at my stuff. Say, can it be better? And mm. many of them say, Yeah, I wish I can do this. I wish I can do that. And sometimes I even go back same location and try to do something different to see if I can do better. Hmm. So don't be afraid to try. Um, equipment is not everything. Um, in fact, I'm on my vacation. I didn't bring my camera. Mm. I took some beautiful photograph um, on the lake, you know, with my phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's okay. It's just a tool, you know. Yep. So um, it, equipment is not everything. Having the right gear help, but time, and also put passion into it. Yeah. Think about... What do you, why you want to show your image? Why you want your images to matter? Some people just want to share with friends. Mm-hmm. Some people want to sh- win contests. You know, some people just want to do a book like me or tell a story. We all have different purpose, but you have to ask yourself why you take the photograph. What you want to do with it? You want to share with friends, or you want your photograph to make different, to be a message of something mm-hmm. later on. Um, I like to think of story too. I try to think in terms of 
how I'm gonna tell a story in in journalistic way, you know, mm-hmm. like how I want my photograph to make impact, mm. and that itself a little bit different, um, you know, and just just take a lot of photo, yeah, and, and spend a lot of time even look at the subject. Uh, for a long, long time, sometimes it gives you some idea. Like, you know, Jim, he told me about, he did one work photography workshop where he put a tape about five by five around the sub, uh, photographer. He said, this is your area. That's where you're going to be standing. That's where you're going to be taking photographs for mm-hmm. the next few hours. Find something here mm-hmm. within this small circle. And his idea is that you have to stay at the subject long enough to appreciate it. <laughs> it teaches you to be creative. It creative to be, pa- to be to be patient mm-hmm. and to understanding, not just snapshot. Mm-hmm. And that's what exactly how my approach is my subject to. When I look at grouse or I look at bee or butterfly, I always look at them to see which is the way that I can tell a story, where the soul subject is, basically. Where the spirit, what, how I can make people connect, you know, and that is just different. And I like to see color too. My background is in art. Uh, I have both art and photojournalism gotcha. degree. Yeah. I like to see color combination. Mm-hmm. I like to see background. I actually don't even look the foreground. I don't even look. Uh, subject is already there. I mm-hmm. like to see what behind, what light can make different. And sometimes photographer we so wrap up into seeing that the close subject, one dimension. Yeah. I like to see three dimension. I like to step back and see what out there. Yeah. So you've led me right to my next question, which is, when you're out in nature. At early morning hours, the golden hour of the mm. evening, you know, you're you're out amongst these birds. But then there's natural things that just happen. Absolutely. What's what's the most like surprising like you know, I was out on this lack and then something happened. Oh yeah, it happened a lot. Um uh, one of the photographs I can pick one. I spent probably two weeks on this mountain almost by myself in Wyoming, in South Central Wyoming. Uh, it was snow and I, I, this bird was, you know, I set my blind and it kept, the way I do it, I like to put the blind a little bit farther to see how bird respond and the next day I move closer and gotcha. closer and closer. And on my day 10s, I got very close but I've been shooting photograph and you know, I mentioned about how I got the same photo and over and over. It get bored, you know, mm. I hear bird dancing and doing things and this and that. And I've been watching every morning, kind of like, okay, this bird will fly. And, you know, every day is just different. You know, with birds, you have to understand how they fly. And and for the few mornings, I made a mistake not paying attention because when this bird leaves the lake, they're all flying at the same time. They will take off in certain time. So I always knew, okay, they take off. Let's say 8.30, that's when they're going to leave. Get ready. Instead of using my long telephone lens, I use mid-range mm. so I can include landscape. So I keep thinking, what if I can get them flying? with the mountain and back wouldn't mm-hmm. that be cool I keep thinking but it never worked out and then one morning I don't know what happened the bird I just had my lens I just you know be there is important but the moment and be able to capture the split a second that take a lot of time investment that's what time is very important I watched this bird I knew what they're going to do and the one bird just took up right in front of my blind within four or five feet mm. and you got this mountain with blue sky in the back it almost looked like Composite photograph. Oh. Even my wife say it looked like fake. It's like, oh, you heard my feeling. It's not <laughs> fake, you know. It's real. I spent twenty days yeah. getting there. So I get the birds just flying in front of me in the beautiful mountain mm. with cloud. You know, that's the kind of moment that gave me goosebumps. Mm. I look at it. I said, man, this is so worth it. You know. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't do a lot of Photoshop in my in uh, my images because I think I want to keep as pure as possible. I don't even crop it my photo. I mm. like to show people how you see it because I think it's important to kind of show people how. I see the scene so they can experience rather than just being you know too much computer graphic and thing like that or a lot of photo manipulation I don't do any of that I don't mm. take things out I don't add things in I keep it as pure as possible so that kind of moment made me feel so p- proud that yet yeah, it happened or the cover of uh, Sage Girl book another one good example you know it was just dark morning uh, I said in the blind, I just saw like, oh, this morning going to be bad. And then suddenly snow start falling. And one bird just walking on top of the hill and did his thing and fan his tail. Mm. In fact, I was with another photographer. You know, and I usually don't travel with another photographer. That time I did because you know uh, he was my good friend. And I want him to experience. We were shooting. And here the bird came. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, right there is awesome snow falling. Mm. The birds are perfect. I got a shot. He didn't even get a single shot. 
We really? were looking at the same thing, but he not seeing it. Huh? And so that photograph became the cover of my photo, my book, you know. And it been somebody else is right there and didn't. And capture yeah, it. didn't capture it. We had the same lens. I'm not totally blind. No, 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 no. It, it just it, it just happened. Illustrate that what when you pay attention, you understand subject and just be ready for it. Yeah. And it's just one of the most simple photograph. Huh. But it the way it captured it, it spirit, the snow is falling, sure. and you see the bird, and so when I saw that one, I said, "That's gonna be a cover of my book." Uh. I knew, I knew it just like that because I look, make eye contact with the reader, yeah. and the tail was just fanning, the background was just beautiful snow. You can't take bad photos yeah. of snow, right? Right. And uh, and so he was pretty mad that it was right next to me. It just happened fast. You just have to be ready for yeah. it. Yeah. Give us a tip. You know, the majority of our listeners are bird hunters, mm-hmm. right? They're dogs, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times dead birds. Mm-hmm. And talk us out of, or at least maybe I'm wrong, but talk us out of the, the tailgate shot, you know? <laughs> like, for an audience of people that want to capture the spirit mm-hmm. of... The dog the, is a great example. I'm yeah. a dog. I have a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a golden retriever. I took a lot of photos of dogs, actually. Um, and... Maybe more into a dog. You know, I, in fact, when I photographed for my second book, I took, I went and spent a lot of time with upland bird hunters, mm-hmm. and went out with them. I focus on dog because dog expression, the face, sometimes mm-hmm. they're so intense and they're so into it. Um, and you know, focus on your dog too, rather than just being here's a game, here's a bird. Make dog, you know, get low in an angle. Try to see dog in the perspective too. Mm. Or try That's an important yeah. component, right? Like when try to shoot eye level with the subject. That's so very important. Crouch down, crouch down and get eye level. With eye the level because people always stand up and take photograph. If you photograph dog, get right into eye level. Mm-hmm. You see different perspective, including more sky in the background. You know, the light. Pay attention to the light too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to want you want to have a sun in your back. You want to have beautiful golden so light. So sun over your back. Over your back. Shining early in the morning. The yep. Or you can have backlit. Um, mm-hmm. You can have sun behind a subject. Um, that too. And you can have. I, mean, I do a lot of that kind of photograph for Department of Conservation too, where people go out and hunt sure. or dog with their birds. That kind of stuff can be done. You know, rather than just be here, my dog. Here's a dead bird. It's not very interesting, but here, dog and the bird in the mouth sure. with a beautiful light. Not difficult photograph, right? Yeah. But it just takes a little bit more creative. Cool. Try to shoot different lens. You can shoot one with wide angle to have more of the sky. Mm. Or one with telephoto lens so you get more one dimension of mm. the background blur. That kind of classic sure. photograph. But I'm always like the photograph that show more of the background where wide angle. That's my um, my style, okay. I think, um, okay. to see more of the sky. Because it's it's very cool when you look at a photograph that shows that the landscape with your dog. I mean, make you more proud. I mean, yeah. yeah. So as, as we begin to wrap up, it, it, conservation has come up throughout mm. this, this discussion. Yep. It's part of your books. Mm-hmm. Do you have a message for our listeners related to, to prairie grouse and uh, conservation and sort of this moment in time? Yes, I do. Um, I think, doesn't matter which perspective you come from. And I work on the Sage book, and I work for the Department of Conservation for almost 20 years. And I understand better now about what we all try to do, but we all care about the same thing. You know, we all want to preserve this landscape or hunting tradition for our kids. I love fishing. You know, we want to protect the habitat. I think when you care about something, whether you're a hunter or photographer or conservationist, we all can make difference. Mm. Um, you know, you have to make people care, um, also make people understand like why this thing is so important that we need to save. Yeah. Doesn't matter if they grouse or they deer or they quail, you know, or mm-hmm. they fish, right? We all want them to be with us as long as we can. Yeah. You um Certainly have done that. Thank you. With these two books. I mean, I, I you know, you ju- I, I circle back to, you clearly are not making money on these books. <laughs> no. Time-wise, <laughs> the investment in publishing, you love. I love doing it. And I just love seeing people expression when I gave talk. Um, yeah. I love to see kid come to me, say, I want to do what you do yeah. because to me it will mean the whole world to me that if somebody I'm being realistic you know I'm not, I'm 49 I'm not going to last forever I would love to have somebody I'll carry on mm. my passion and do it with some other thing yeah. and if I can inspire even one kid 
and one person to do what I do, mm. I think I achieved that goal, mm. and uh, it it'll make me go to sleep better yeah. <laughs> to know that we still have hope. You know, when you have this person that care a lot, you know, and I do have people send me letter from time to time, and I have a kid, a little girl from Saint Louis, send me a letter about how much it meant to me to her that you know she saw my photograph and it made me so proud. Mm. You know, and uh, that's great. Yeah. But you are only 49, so <laughs> you still got plenty of time. Is there a third book oh. on the horizon? <laughs> I don't know. Right now, I have several things going on. Um, I work mostly with pollinators right now, a lot of um, especially different uh, native butterfly species and okay. bees especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still photograph grouse in some way, um, and I have one of my friends dare me to work on sharp tail. Like, no, no, not right now. You know, it's just gonna take a lot of time. I would love to get back to the grouse again. I don't know at which species could be sharp tail. That'll be fun. I love sharp tail. They're so fun to photograph. Mm-hmm. And also um, into pollinators. So I don't know. Um, could be quail. Could be quail. There's a yeah. variety yeah. of quail species. <laughs> yeah. You want to travel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. That might be some idea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I will encourage our listeners to check out Save the Last Dance mm-hmm. and Sage Grouse Icon of the West. Uh, that website again, npnaturephotography.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. Napatal Pauthong. I pronounce it correctly? Correct. Yes. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for thank, having me. Thanks for, you know, taking the time on your vacation to swing through <laughs> the twin twin cities and, and do this. Folks, I, I hope you check out the website and if you're able to um you know, pick up one or both of these books. Um I, I'm I'm gonna go buy the Sage Grouse mm-hmm. book. It just um I, I really, really enjoyed you. Thank you. Thank, yeah. you. thank you. Thank you npnaturephotography.com. Folks, I'm Bob St. Pierre thanking you for listening and reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, everybody.